God had uh, a problem. How do you make the incomprehensible comprehensible? When God saw the brokenness of man, when, when mankind rebelled against God and the relationship was broken, God did not just write mankind off. Uh, no, he sought mankind out. He wanted to reveal himself to mankind. But God is incomprehensible. I mean, we can understand parts of God. We can understand a little bit of, of who God is. But when he wanted to reveal himself to mankind, he had to figure out how to make the incomprehensible comprehensible. Uh, and now you might say, well, if you make the, comprehensible, the incomprehensible comprehensible, then it's no longer incomprehensible. Uh, so that's a problem in and of itself. But what we see here in the person of Jesus Christ is God revealing himself to mankind, making his incomprehensible self comprehensible in ways. Now today I want us to see two things from this passage, this brief little account that uh, is very interesting because it's different than the healings that we've looked at before in several ways. Uh, but we want to see the nature of Christ's mission and we want to see the nature of Christ's kingdom shine forth from this passage to us today. And I want to begin by looking at the nature of Christ's mission. Now we have this miraculous healing of this deaf man uh, who was, was not exactly mute, but he had uh, severe trouble communicating through his speech. He had some sort of speech impediment that did not allow him uh, to speak. Now, Mark has already given us a, a whole catalog of different healings. I mean, he's raised people from the dead. He has cast out demons. He's, he's healed all kinds of, of different ailments. And here today, we have him doing this particular miracle. And, and sometimes, usually, usually, not just sometimes, but usually, Jesus doesn't have to do a whole lot in order to heal someone. In fact, sometimes like the lady who touched the hem of his garment. He didn't even know that she was reaching out to touch him, and she was healed. Or he doesn't even have to show up to heal someone. The previous section, the, the daughter of this, this uh, Syrophoenician woman, he heals without even going to where she is. He just says, go, go, your daughter is well. And she's healed at that very moment. So... When we look at this miracle, this healing that we have before us today, um, Jesus goes through a series of actions before healing this deaf, mute man. Uh, six different actions, in fact. So that is strange in and of itself. I mean, first he, he takes him aside from the crowd privately. Then he puts his fingers into the man's ears after spitting, it says that he touched his tongue. He looks up to heaven, he sighs, and then he says, be opened. Six different things that he does. Why does he do that? That, that to me, is the question that is begged by this passage. Why? Why does he go through all these steps? I mean, Jesus has just cast out a demon without even being present. 
He'd been willing previously to heal people in plain view, right there in front of the crowd. Why does he take this man aside and heal him privately? Before, he's not used any gestures like he does here, uh, putting his fingers in the man's ears, man's ears and spitting on his fingers and touching the man's tongue. Why does he do so in this particular instance? Doesn't it smack of magic? Uh, the way Jesus does it here, I mean, wave the magic wand and say abracadabra and the magic trick happens. Uh, it seems like Jesus is, is in danger of being misunderstood by this passage, that he's some kind of conjurer or magician that's doing a trick. Well, I believe the, the answer to this question, why does Jesus, Jesus do it in this way, I believe is a rather simple answer. All of these actions are merely to accommodate and identify with this deaf-mute man. He's being sensitive and sympathetic to him and his condition. He's engaging this man in in a very special way so that he can uh, communicate to him in a way that the man can understand that Jesus is addressing his needs and concerns. It's a great demonstration of pity and love and sympathy and thoughtfulness to this man. The way Jesus goes about healing him. Quite different than all the other healings that we've encountered so far in Mark. Let's look at each of these actions briefly. Uh, These six things that he does in order to heal this man. First, he takes him aside from the crowd privately. Now, there could be several good reasons why he does so. Uh, The man was deaf. He could not communicate well with his speech. And so he relied mostly on his vision. You know, when someone lacks one of their five senses, uh, usually some of their other senses are heightened to make up the slack, so to speak. Well, this man would have relied on his sight. And with all these people around trying to communicate with him, it would have been very distracting to the man. Jesus takes him aside to a place where he can deal with him one-on-one. He can communicate to the man, and the man can understand that it's Jesus who is his Savior. Jesus is the one who is going to heal him. He's communicating one-on-one just so that that he can know this man and, and come into a relationship with this man. So it's a great act of care that he does it this way. Yes, Jesus could have waved his hand. He didn't even have to wave his hand to heal this man. He could have spoken. He could have not done anything at all. He could have just declared in his mind that the man was healed. But yet he takes him to the side and gives him some love and attention. The second thing he he does is he put his fingers into the man's ears. Now, obviously, he's uh, adapting here to the communication mode of this deaf man. Uh, he probably would have had to communicate through sign language. Well, Jesus is doing the same to him. He's communicating to him that I'm about to do something for your ears. I'm about to heal your hearing. So he's showing deep sympathy and, and personal engagement with this man. Jesus doesn't need to use sign language to do healings, but Jesus is adapting to this man's emotional and physical needs. He finds the best way for this man to receive his love and aid 
and he adapts his practice to fit the man's need. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus is that thoughtful to this man? It would have been great if he just healed him. But here is Jesus not only healing the man, and I'm sure the man would have been eternally grateful if Jesus had just healed him without doing any of these actions. But here he is communicating with the man, empathizing with him, with him and showing him love and communicating with him in his way. Third thing he did was after spitting, touched his tongue. We, we think maybe Jesus spit on his own finger and placed it there. Um, it's the same as with his ears. He's indicating that he's going to do something for his speech as well as for his hearing. Then it says that Jesus looked up to heaven. The help is divine help. It's coming from above. And so the man can see that Jesus is looking to heaven in a posture of prayer, possibly. He's looking for divine help. Jesus came to do the will of God. He's an agent of God, the Father. And he's healing this man. He looks above. Then it says, he sighed. Now, this is the most special word. Uh, The word here means to groan or sigh as the result of deep concern or stress. I mean, if it's a groan, it's a deep stress. If it's a sigh, it's a deep concern. So that's why the translators call it a sigh here. Jesus is deeply concerned for this man and his condition. Yet, he's omnipotent. He knows he's about to heal the man. He knows... This man's about to be leaping for joy because he's about to... But Jesus so identifies with his suffering that he sighs. And I think that probably carries on beyond just this man to the world and its brokenness. We weren't created to have uh, deaf people or people who can't communicate or blind people or people with disease, or illness, or sickness of any kind. That's not how God created us to live eternally. But sin has come in and broken the world, broken our relationship with God, broken our relationship with one another, broken our relationship with this earth. Everything is broken. Bob Dylan has a song called Everything is Broken. This was written after his Christian phase, so I don't know if he's theologically correct in exactly what he says, but the man speaks more truth than he knows. Everything is broken. It's all broken. And that weighs heavily upon Jesus. And he's come to fix the brokenness in the world, and he's starting to do that one person at a time. And he's going to ultimately do that. We'll talk about it in a few moments. But he sighs. The sorrows of this man and the sorrows of all mankind were Jesus Christ's sorrows. And he's just reflecting that as he sighs and then he says, Ephatha, which is Aramaic for be open. He spoke in a common language. He's revealing himself to this man in the language of the day. Uh, Nothing special about what he says here. He just opens it up and it says there in verse 35 that his ears were open and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Just that easy. Be opened. See, Jesus identified with him, speaking the same language as this man. And maybe the man even heard it as his ears were being opened. He heard the the end of what Jesus says. So Jesus has supreme power to remove all defects, to restore to health, and he shows that power in just by saying a word. And this man is healed of his deafness and his speech impediment. Now, what Jesus is doing here in this healing, 
is very tender and wonderful and very special. But it's just a microcosm of his entire life and mission. Uh, the, the incarnation, Christ taking on human flesh, that's what incarnation means, in the flesh. God coming to earth as a human being, uh, living among us, suffering as a human, identifying with m- mankind. That was a result of his great love and concern for the human race. Uh, he, he, in coming to earth, is showing great sympathy. He, he sees our groanings and he sighs with us. He, he loves us so much that he took this mission upon himself, this mission of love to come and to do something about our brokenness. The incomprehensible God takes on human flesh and walks among us. He speaks our language, so to speak, so he can reveal himself to us. We had lost touch with our Creator, so our Creator comes down and seeks us out. Isn't that wonderful? And this little snippet, this little miracle that Jesus does is really a great illustration of his greater mission of mercy and sympathy. This fact that Jesus condescends to us was, uh, was explained by John Calvin famously in this way. For who even of slight intelligence does not understand that, as nurses commonly do with infants, God is wont in measure to lisp in speaking to us. Thus, such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as accommodate the knowledge of Him to our slight capacity. To do this, He must descend far beneath His loftiness. In other words, God, in taking on human flesh and coming to us, is kind of like uh, what someone in a, in a nursery school does with the little toddlers. They, they, they get down on their level and speak baby talk to them. They, they speak in terms that the little child can understand. The little child doesn't have very much understanding and maybe the child can't even speak yet. So we talk in baby talk. So Jesus is God's baby talk to us, revealing himself to us in a way that we can understand. We, we, are, we are limited. And God in His love has chosen a way that He can communicate to us something so incomprehensible, His great love and mercy and this mission that He's on to save us from our sins. John Piper picks up on Calvin's comment and he says, God has chosen to send His Son into our nursery and speak baby talk with us. Jesus Christ became a child with us. That's what the incarnation means. He accommodated himself to our baby talk. He stammered with us in the nursery of human life in this age. Isn't that wonderful? He has condescended to us. Paul talks about it in several places. 2 Corinthians 8 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that though he was, yet though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So he became like us. Poor, so that we might inherit all the riches, the blessedness of being part of his family. Philippians 2, a passage that most people are well aware of. Jesus Christ was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he humbled himself. It says there he emptied himself. Now, he did not empty himself of his divinity. He did not stop when he became a man. He did not stop being God. But what it, what it means there is that God emptied himself of all the glory of being divine, all the rights and privileges of being the Son of God. He left those behind, and he humbled himself and became a man. Uh, he didn't cease to be the Lord. He didn't cease to be God. But if he were you know, being God, the appropriate response would be for us to fall down on our feet, like Isaiah encountered God in, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, to see, the, see God high and lifted up in all of his glory would cause us to say, Lord, I am undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. I, I can't bear to be in your holy presence. But God has accommodated himself to us so that we could see him and know him and understand that he loves us and he cares for us deeply. And that's what Jesus did in all of his life on earth. And he came to identify so much with us that he took our sin upon himself and he bore it on the cross so that, again, as Paul said, we might become rich with all the spiritual blessings that are due to a person who lived a perfect life, even though that we don't. He took our sin and declared us righteous based upon his perfect righteousness. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes. May may we respond in that way. May we bow the knee to this loving Savior that has revealed himself to us. Now, it tells us something as well, not only about the nature of Christ's mission, but the nature of Christ's kingdom. Now, just briefly here, we have uh, a word used in this passage that's a very unique word. In fact, it's only used here in the New Testament this one time. This man's speech impediment, he, the, the, the word that's translated as speech impediment, is only used in this place, and it's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in one place. And that place is in Isaiah chapter 35 that we read early, where Isaiah says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, that the one with the speech impediment, shall sing for joy. That whole chapter is talking about the fullness of Christ's kingdom coming in. And so when, when Christ comes to earth, he's beginning to do that work, that work of the kingdom, ushering in his rule on this earth. And that rule means that things are going to be made right. That which is broken is going to be restored. That which is lost is going to be redeemed. And Jesus is doing that one person at a time, through his disciples, through his church, after he ascends to heaven. And he's doing that now for us. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that kingdom is moving forward in our world till one day when Christ returns the second time, the kingdom will come in all of its fullness and we'll see something wonderful like what Isaiah 35 and many other passages of Scripture tell us about. When everything is restored back to the way it was first created to be, back in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve fell into sin. In the meantime, God is redeeming and renewing, and He's offering this salvation to us for free. So it's up to us to hear and to respond. Charles Wesley put this uh, verse, these verses from Isaiah 35, into a well known hymn Hear him, ye deaf. His praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongue employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap ye lame for joy. Have you beheld the Savior? Have you heard His word? Do you know that that kingdom is coming? And are you invested in that kingdom? Are you looking forward to that kingdom? Are you, are you following that kingdom? You know, our tendency is to set up our own little kingdom. We want to be the King of kings and Lord of lords in our own lives. But God's kingdom is so much greater. We can't renew anything. We can't restore anything. We can't redeem or save ourselves. Only Christ can. It's only through His kingdom that we have any of these blessings. So we must bow the knee to this great King who loves us so much and has identified with us even to the point of taking our sin upon Himself. God is going to renew through Christ the entire world. Our brokenness will be restored. Our sin will be no more. The sick and disease will be healed. All that is wrong will be made right. Jesus started it back then. We're looking forward to the day when he completes that work. And he's promised that if he's begun the work in us, he's going to complete it. Philippians 1, chapter 6. I hope that you have embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And I want to invite you to do so. Even now, pray to him, cry out to him. He is willing to save those who are lost and all who call upon him. He will in no way cast you out, cast you to the side, but he will save you. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, one quick final thing, and then we'll close. It says here that Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. These people were being very disobedient. They were not doing what Jesus had called them to do. He told them, and and the reason he does so is because the more his fame spread, the more his enemies uh, were enraged against him. And he knew that there was a particular hour when he would lay down his life. And And he was waiting for that hour, that special hour. It was not time yet. And so he was trying to temper the reaction so that he could go about doing his work of renewal, showing us what the Father was like, full of grace, full of truth. And then the time would come, and it would be soon, but not yet. And that's why he's telling them, keep it on the down low. Hush, hush about it. But they keep talking about it. Conversely, in our day, Jesus doesn't forbid us from talking about it. In fact, he commands us to be his witnesses. Go and proclaim it everywhere, this kingdom Uh, this good news about Jesus Christ. The problem is we're kind of like those people. We disobey. Instead of talking about it, we refuse to talk about it. 
we disobey Jesus by not telling the world about what he's done and who he is. Now, I'm not saying that to lay a guilt trip on everybody. You'll be relieved to know. What I'm saying is, why don't we talk about it? These people were amazed at what they had seen. They, they saw, it says in verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure. He has done all things well. He even made the deaf hear and the mute speak. You know, the key there is that they were astonished beyond measure. The good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us is astonishing beyond measure. But the problem is we've become inoculated to it. You know, I used to get allergy shots when I was a child, and they actually give you a little bit of that which you're allergic to so you can build up your immune system to it, so you can, so you can build up resistance to those allergies. Well, I wonder if we've heard just enough of the gospel sometimes to inoculate ourselves against it. It no longer affects us like it should. Now, we're about to enter this Advent season, and I pray that it will be a time when we recapture the wonder and amazement of who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. If it really grips our hearts, if we're, if we're astonished anew, then we, we, we can't help but tell people about it. We couldn't help. We, we would, there's no way we'd be quiet about it. We'd be like these people. You know, if somebody forbid us to talk about it, we, we couldn't help but say all that's been done for us. And I just wonder, have we ever really been struck by the amazing nature of who Christ is and what he's done. If we have, we will share it with others. If we haven't, let's seek and ask the Lord to knock our socks off once again with the good news of Jesus. Help us be amazed at it again. Forgive us our hard hearts and, and, and ask the Lord to, to rekindle in our hearts a love and appreciation for who he is and and what he's done for us. He is a a loving, heavenly uh, gift from God, the Father, to us so that we might be saved, who loves us and cares for us and, and identifies with our suffering. And he wants to save each and every one of us and have us in his kingdom. Let's pray together.